Howdy, friends, and welcome to episode 47 of Running with Sam and Dave as we make our way through the book of 1 Samuel, and we are in chapter 11. And so, as I say often here on the uh, podcast, it's important to keep track of the context, and especially when we take these little 10-minute portions of Scripture and talk about them and then talk about the next one the next day and then the next one the next day. It's really easy to lose track of what's happening and what we're reading. And so the book of First Samuel is a historical record. So we're reading history. So it's important to understand what happened before what we're reading now. So what just happened was that Samuel, who was the prophet of God, has let the people of Israel know that God has chosen them a king and his name is Saul. And so everybody goes home. Um, kind of a strange thing. Everybody goes home a few some of the valiant men go with Saul and there are others who say, who's this guy? You know, why should we, why should this, this guy be our King? You know? So anyway, we are going to see how in uh, chapter E 11, how God brings together, unifies the kingdom under Saul. So it starts off in verse one. It says, then Nahash, the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. So uh, there's this guy named Nahash. His name means snake or serpent. And so oftentimes people will um, will read this and draw uh, parallels to uh, to Satan. And I think there's I think there's some um, validity to that. I think it's an interesting way of reading it to see it as a um, as a picture of a spiritual reality. And so here we have Nahash um, coming up against these men of Jabesh Gilead. And um, when he comes out against them, they, they go out to him and say, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. So what it appears is happening here is that this guy Nahash has come and is, is uh, surrounded or sieging or putting under siege, the people of Jabesh Gilead, which was, um, a military tactic used in, in ancient times. And that was uh, to encircle a city, um, surround them. If it was a walled city, you just stay outside the city until they eat all their food and drink all their water. And um, then when they are in a weakened state, they'll surrender. And it was such a feared thing uh, in, in Roman times, especially that there were, there were cities that just, when they became came under siege, they would just surrender because they didn't. The siege was worse than the than the war. So anyway, uh, here we have these men coming out and they're saying, "Make a covenant with us, and we'll serve you." And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, "On this condition, I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes, and bring reproach on all Israel." So he says, "Yeah, yeah, you want to make a covenant with me." Sure, you want to be our servant. Sure, that's fine. Um, but here's the here here's the cost for you. Uh, you gotta we gotta we get to gouge out your right eye. And there's I'm sure a, lot, a couple of reasons for this. One is it makes it much more difficult for them to um, to fight back when they've all been recently blinded, and also it limits every one of their men in battle to not having a right eye. And then of course there's the reason that he tells them. You know, he wants to bring reproach on Israel. And I think this is important understanding maybe uh, the next part, right? His goal is to bring reproach on Israel. That's that's his desire. 
And so it says then in verse three, it says, then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. So this is, this is really kind of strange, right? This guy comes, they're, they're there to conquer you and you go out and say, Hey, um, we'll surrender and become your servants. Uh, if you make a covenant, you know, not to kill us. And he says, um, yeah, how about this? I'll make that covenant, but only if I can gouge out all your right eyes. And they go, well, tell how about this? Give us seven days to see if we can get some help. See if we can find someone to save us in Israel. And if not, then we'll come out. And, and, and this is very strange also because you think, well, why in the world would Nahash let them do this? Why would Nahash say, oh, sure, I won't attack you for seven days so you can go send some messengers out to get help? Wouldn't it be a better military strategy to say, no, nobody's leaving the city? It would seem so, except for a couple things. Uh, first of all, his goal here is, as he stated, um, to bring reproach on all of Israel. And so it could be that this is just the beginning of his plans, you know, that he says, I'm going to, I'm going to defeat this, this city. And then I'm going to make my way through this, this, uh, this nation that has recently been divided by some civil war, which, um, some scholars believe that's what's going on here as well, that that uh, at the end of the book of Judges, in Judges 21, there's this civil war where the people of Israel come against uh, the tribe of Benjamin because of some wickedness that, that happened. And one of the, well, the only area that wouldn't lend men to support was Jabesh Gilead. And so that would seem that perhaps... Um, Naash knows that. Like, these are the guys that wouldn't go and join the battle when there was a fight to be done. The, the whole nation joined together, and these guys wouldn't. They refused. So who's going to come help them? They refused to help others. Now who's going to help them? And so that might be the case, that he's just, again, great, saying, yeah, go ahead, ask for help, and you're going to be more easy to defeat after seven days of being under siege by us and when you get word back that no one is coming to save you. When you have no savior, how easy you will be for the serpent to defeat. Now, what's interesting here is the men of Jabesh Gilead only seem to think that there's a couple of choices. One, we could go out there and surrender to that guy and say, Hey, you know, Hey, we don't, we don't want to fight you. We'll just, submit to you and become your servant or they're crying out to the rest of the nation to save them. It's interesting that none of them say, let us cry out to the Lord. Let us cry out to the Lord. And perhaps they did. And we're just, it's just not recorded, but um, it seems like that's far too often our solution. If we, say, well, I can't overcome this and I can't get the help I need, then I'm hopeless. Rather than saying, well, I can't do this on my own, but I serve a God who loves me, who is omnipotent, omniscient, 
omnipresent. You know, uh, I there there is a God I can cry out to. Anyway, um, so they send the messengers out in verse four. It says so messengers came to Gibeah. Of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they hear about the situation and they're distraught. But the, the you know the word comes to Gibeah, which is where Saul is. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field, and Saul said, "What troubles the people?" And they weep, and they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. So here's Saul, right? Saul is anointed the king, proclaimed the king, and he's farming still. Kind of a strange situation, right? He's proclaimed the king, and then it says, you know, everybody goes home. And he goes home, and he just kind of goes back to what he was doing, apparently. You know, taking care of the animals. Not setting up a human government. I mean, how would he know how? <laughs> you know, here he is, this farmer. And uh, he gets word. And then it says this, then the spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news and his anger was greatly aroused. So the spirit of God comes upon Saul and we would probably not typically think about this. Like the spirit of God came upon me and I was angered. You know, we, we tend to think of anger as a, 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 a state of maybe out of control or a state of loss of love or, um, but in this case, this is, you know, this, this great motivation that comes upon him where the spirit of God comes upon him to empower him for service. He's, he's angered about what's happening. He has a, you know, these are God's people that are being threatened. These are his, the people in his kingdom. And I think this is what you want from your king. You want your king to passionately defend his people. And so this is what he does. So, so he took a yoke of oxen. A yoke being um, two oxen that you would, that would be plowing together. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them into pieces and sent them throughout all the territories of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. And when he numbered them at Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah were 30,000. So he chops up some oxen. He sends the chunks off all around the country, these big hunks of meat with messengers saying, hey, if you don't come and go out to battle with Samuel and Saul, this is what's going to happen to your oxen. Now, is he saying that he's going to do this? I don't know. You know, I don't know if that's the threat. If it's the threat of the king saying, if you don't come and serve in my military, I'm going to come chop up your oxen. Or if what he's saying, if you don't come together and we don't deal with this scourge, if we don't come together and unify and deal with this, this problem, this is what's going to happen to your oxen. Not that I'm going to do it, but rather... Nahash, as he makes his way through conquering city after city, that what you have is going to be chopped up and destroyed. I don't know. I don't know which one it is. And I don't know if it necessarily matters. Um, we're not being told whether or not this was a good plan or a bad plan by Saul. Um, but this is what he does. He says, look, come out, come out and support the brethren. 
Um, and so it says, And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you. Now they're talking to Nahash. Tomorrow we'll come out, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. Which is kind of clever, because they're, it sounds like we're coming out to surrender. But they're not coming out to surrender at all. They know they've got salvation on its way. And even though it's not there yet, even though they have not seen it or experienced it, they're glad because they know that this greater salvation is coming. And, and what a great reminder that is to me and to you um, as Christian people where we, we've been saved, right? We've been saved from the power of sin. We don't have to be ruled by sin anymore. That's Romans 6. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty we're due for our, you know, God's wrath for the sin we've committed. And that's Romans chapter five. You know, we, we are um, free from the preoccupation of sin. In other words, being hung up on, have I done enough good? Am I good enough? No, it's not based on that anymore. And that's um, you know, Romans chapter seven. But what we are not saved yet from is the very presence of sin and the presence of struggle and the presence of difficulty. And there are those days, you know, those days where you're, you're hurting, whether it's physical, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, where you're hurting and you're just, oh, Lord, I, I long for the day where, where this too is, is, is gone, where I'm free from this. But we have, see, the thing is though, we have a hope of that. We know that that day is coming, that, that even greater salvation, that, that the promise of eternal life with Christ. You know, we know eternal life begins when we receive Jesus as our savior, but, but we're not in his presence. We're not free from the, from the, um, the presence of sin. We still are battling with that, that old sinful nature that, um, rears its ugly head, you know, and even though we know it doesn't rule us that we have a, a new, a new, um, a new master, a new, a new king, a new, a new husband um, in the Lord as our savior. We, we still have those, that old garbage that, that hangs around, you know, the old, the old man as Romans six talks about that's, you know, continually talking and uh, the old master that's still giving commands, um, even though we don't have to listen or we don't have to obey. We, it's still, you know, those old sinful desires still, um, chattering in our ears or whatever. But all that to say, we have this great hope in knowing that all of that is temporary. And there's a greater, a greater uh, culmination of our salvation to come. And I think that's what the people of Jabesh Gilead are experiencing. And that's why they're glad. God bless you. Talk to you next time.